Tour de France is almost here, and you can catch all of the action on Flow Bikes. Viewers worldwide can access daily content, including exclusive on-site coverage, in-depth interviews, expert analysis, and more. And if you live in Canada, you can watch all 21 stages live or on demand. Plus, Flow Bikes is the exclusive home of the Tour de France fantasy cycling game in the United States and Canada. Subscribe now at flowbikes.com forward slash velonews. That is flobikes.com forward slash velonews. And when you purchase a Flow Bike subscription, you'll get access to the entire Flow Sports network of over 25 sports. Don't miss out. Sign up at flowbikes.com slash velonews. That is flobikes.com forward slash velonews. Okay. Let's get on with the podcast. Welcome back to the Vel News Podcast. Fred Dreyer coming to you a day later than normal. We're recording this on Wednesday this week. We are in the depths of print production for our upcoming Olympics issue of uh, Vel News Magazine, and uh, we're a little bit delayed, but this issue is really cool. Bunch of cool profiles, interviews, all sorts of stories in there about Team USA heading into the uh, 2021 Olympics. A lot of stuff with like Kate Courtney, Haley Batten, Jen Valente, the whole track team. Uh, really seems like the Olympic story this year and, and many years for the Americans is all about our amazing women's team. So check it out. It'll be on newsstands soon. Um, and a busy, busy time of year in the world of pro cycling. We had uh, Unbound Gravel. We had the Tour de Suisse. We're heading straight into the Tour de France. We're recording this 10 days away from the start of the tour. But we need to get to uh, two of the bigger stories that are burning up the cycling space. One of them is that the U.S. just announced its Olympic selection for 2021. And uh, we're going to talk about some of the athletes who are named to the team, some of the backstories and um, some of the, I wouldn't say controversy, but sort of the judgment calls that the selection committee at USA Cycling had to make in choosing its team. And then we are going to talk about a very special gravel race coming up uh, in Kenya. And that and why why we should be paying attention to this race. And joining me to discuss both of these topics, it's Betsy Welsh. <laughs> Betsy, we are not on uh, we're not on Zoom, we're not on Google Hangouts or any other platform. We are face to face in the Villa News offices. We're hanging out. I know. It's been a long time since I had a face-to-face podcast. I like want to look at my computer screen or, you know, I, I feel like I should be waiting for like the person on the other end of the Zoom to like give me a hand cue or whatever that they're done talking. But I can just like, I can just see it in your body language that you're like, Fred, stop talking and let me talk. <laughs> yeah, I can roll my eyes at you. I can like kick you under the desk. Um, and we got to go on a bike ride IRL too this week. We are. So we are recording this uh, Wednesday. And in Boulder, Colorado, this week is the famed Flagstaff Week. Uh, That is the week when we all go and ride our town's uh, famous Flagstaff climb every morning at 7 a.m. And this is thanks to the Mosaic Cycles crew. Uh, You know a bit about this. What can you say about Flagstaff Week, Betsy? God, I wonder if this is like year uh, six, maybe? It's been going on for a while. Um and it's great. Monday and Tuesday are kind of chill, chill pace. Um, we all roll together. And then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, people let it rip and uh, go for those PRs. Um, it's super hot this week, though. Um, God, by 637, it's already like pushing. I don't know. It feels like 90. Well, it's nice and cool here. 
in the Villain News offices, but uh, that's probably good because we have to get to some hot topics. You like that? <laughs> oh, yeah. Add some, when I'm rolling my eyes. Yeah, some professional <laughs> podcasting right there. Uh, let's talk about USA Cycling's Olympic selection first. Um, last week, I believe it was last week, I feel like we're living in a time warp. There's so much cycling news going on. USA Cycling announced the lineup for the Olympic Games, uh, representing the team in the women's Road race, we're going to see Ruth Winder, Leah Thomas, Corinne Rivera, Chloe Deigert, and Amber Nieben, who will be doing the time trial. Uh, in the men's race, we men's road race, we have Lawson Craddock and Brandon McNulty, both of whom are doing road and time trial. On the track, Chloe Deigert, sprinter Maddie Godby, Megan Jastrab, Jennifer Valente, Emma White, and Lily Williams. Men's track, Gavin Hoover, Adrian Hegavari. I, I apologize if I mispronounced that name. And then the big ones, uh, mountain bike, Kate Courtney, Haley Batten, and Chloe Woodruff and men's mountain bike Christopher Blevins, plus a whole bunch of BMX racers for the street and the BMX racing, and we wish them all good luck. Now, anytime, every four years, this year five, when they do the Olympic selection, there's usually some controversy around uh, who gets named and who doesn't because not all of the athletes meet the automatic criteria. There are judgment calls made by the selection committees to decide who's going to go from the long team and who is not. And so, you know, in, in the road, mountain bike, and to, to a certain degree track, we saw judgment calls being made because not everyone hit the automatic criteria. And um, as we're recording this, I am not cognizant of any arbitrations or any uh, official, you know, legal challenges to the decisions that were made in the past Olympics. We have seen multiple legal challenges launched towards uh, these automatic criteria. I I don't know of any. I've been re- I've been reaching out and talking around. And nothing's come across my radar. Of course, if it does, we will update all of the listeners and everyone on VelaNews.com about it. But it seems like. USA Cycling's choices are going to go without specific uh, legal challenges at this point. Now, Betsy, when you saw the names announced for these teams, were there any names where just kind of struck like points of tension or where you could say, you know, I could have seen them choosing this other person? Or were there any like names where you said like that is a straight up snub or a flub? I'll just I'll just preface my answer by saying that, like, I think in a way waiting for this announcement was like more stressful than, you know, I don't know, watching a bike race because you have all of these riders who we love. They're like our you know, they're our national representatives and they're on the long teams because they are the best. So you you can see them all going and they all have these like very unique sets of strengths um, that have that had gotten them this thus far. Um, and yeah, I think we do sort of have favorites, um, and we have certain athletes who we watch closer than others. Um, I think, you know, one storyline we followed a ton that you've covered excellently, Fred, is the women's mountain bike team. Um, we had these six, six women who were just, you know, not, not only do they all like crush out there on the single track, they were training together. They were like lifting each other up and, and they kind of made a big deal about it. And we knew that only really two were going to get picked because Kate had already qualified. And then when Haley qualified um, a couple weeks ago, it was like, oh, my God, now one of these women, only one's going to go. Um, and I, I was a little surprised it was Chloe. I mean, I'm surprised, but but then again, not right, because like these women all have the results and um, are all incredibly strong. Um 
But as you mentioned, Fred, like I kind of forgot about 2019 in terms of results, um, just because that seems like a very long and strange time ago. Um, and I know Chloe had some great results. Um, totally deserving. I guess my point is just that we didn't see her as much racing last year. So it's like, oh, right. Um, and, and we can talk more about the qualification, the, the selection and how like points actually matter. Yeah, to me, that was the one that stood out at first was um, that third women's Olympic team spot. And it went to Chloe Woodruff, who's the reigning U.S. national champion. And if you looked at the opening two World Cups this year, um, Chloe, who'd been injured, you know, she crashed. I believe she had a head injury and she's battling through some other injuries. It was pretty far down in the world, the opening two World Cups. Meanwhile, Aaron Huck who um, you know, lost most of the 19, 2019 season to an injury, had pretty good World Cup results. I believe she was 15th and 16th. You know, not top 10, not making the automatic criteria, which was top eight or winning, but, um, but up there and, you know, top 20. And so when they chose Chloe Woodruff over Aaron Huck, there was part of me that was like, ooh, boy, you know. But like you said, I had totally forgotten about the 2019 World Cup cup season. And I went back and, and looked through that. And Chloe had, I believe, five uh, top 10, 10 finishes, including several um, sixth place finishes just off the podium. And when I look back and read the um, criteria for discretionary selection in mountain biking, I mean, it's long and there's a lot to it. The, um, the three things that they weigh are metal capable athlete, future metal capable athlete and best predicted finish. And in some of the sub, the subheads under metal capable athlete is winning a medal top three finish within the last 36 months at a UCI world cup or world championships. Chloe did not do that or demonstrating the continued ability to perform at that level or higher based on performances in international competitions in the last 24 months. So last two years. And if you add in last two years, that encompasses the 2019 season when she was right up there. I mean, she won a short track, World Cup short track. She was right up there at the front of the race in these World Cups. And it was like, ah, okay. You know, that that is criteria that is pretty black and white. I mean, there's room for um, there's room for opinion, and I'm sure that these uh, committees that they had making the decision, you know, they they probably had some arguments about it, but that when when reading that criteria, that was what said, okay, you know, Chloe did have those results, and that elevates it to her. You know, maybe if Aaron Huck had gotten top ten in one of these World Cups, mm-hmm. or you know, had it's it's so close, it's tough. Yeah. You know, you're talking about the biggest um, achievement in the athletic lives of these people, and so you do want to take it seriously. And um, you know, this is one of those ones where it was a judgment call. But when you do look at that criteria, it does seem like okay. I, I do think they came down on the right side. Yeah, I mean, I do not envy anyone on those selection committees. Like, I couldn't imagine a worse, <laughs> a worse decision to be part of. Um, and you know, we did a couple um, profiles of uh, long team athletes, you know, from the track to the road to the mountain bike. And, you know, the athletes, everyone I talked to, um, I think I talked to Alex Howes and Amber Nieben and Haley Batten. And, you know, they all were like, it's not a great system, but I don't know a better one. So, you know, Fred, you were telling me before we got on that other countries do it totally differently. And um, what, you know, the U.S.'s selection process isn't perfect, but but what is? I'm not sure there is. Yeah, it's tough. I was on this call in um, May 
with um, Jim Miller, who's the head of high performance with USA Cycling, and Jeff Pierce. Um, I apologize if I'm getting their official titles wrong, but they were basically explaining the selection process and how sort of arcane and challenging it is. And like you said, USA Cycling, since it's the United States, they try to make it as sort of democratic and like they try to make everyone seem like they have a chance and because of that they have to write these standards and they have to have these time periods where people you know they they have plenty of time to see what the qualification standards are and plenty of time to hit them but because of that they start writing these standards like years out so uh, miller was talking about how to write the qualification standards for the 2020 olympics they actually had to have them ready to be published in 2018 which meant they had to start writing them in 2017 and with that timeline it was kind of before a lot of the details were coming out even about the courses you know for road is it going to be a climber's course is it going to be a sprinter's course you know some of the details around the mountain bike courses weren't known at that point so you're trying to write um, qualification standards for these elite athletes so that everybody has plenty of time to see what it is and, you know, structure their schedules around it and get sponsorship that's going to get them to those races and be able to like prove themselves um, as opposed to just having sort of an autocratic system where you have one or two coaches sitting at the top of the ladder who say, Betsy, wow, you had a great ride, you know, three weeks before the Olympics. You're on the Olympic team now. Congratulations. And having a culture and a system that values that. Like our culture and our system, I don't think would value that. Um, in the past, we had Olympic trials, which I thought was also a pretty good uh, method of just, you know, who can be best on that one day. I think that the fear with that is that, you know, if you're really wanting to peak once for the Olympics, it's tough to like peak for an Olympic trial and then do it. Or, you know, they felt like the Olympic trials was just Americans competing against each other and not having international competition to sort of decide who was best. So, um, you know, there's a lot of arguments out there. It, right now, the outer line has a piece on velonews.com really calling into question the American system for choosing the teams and pointing out the fact that on the uh, women's roadside, um, you know, it's really difficult to account for the the fact that road athletes have to ride as as team you know as team members with specific jobs for their trade teams as opposed to going for individual results and i know that you've spoken to a number of athletes about that like the kind of the conundrum that road cyclists are placed in when trying to qualify for the olympics i think you know taylor wiles really sort of put herself out there on social media after the announcement was made and said how disappointed she was um you know she's been racing her bike for who knows? I mean, many, many years. And, um, you know, the thing about the Olympics is like, it's this like every four year thing that's sort of like always lurking in the background. But but day to day, these riders have a job and it's it's not like they wake up every morning thinking about the Olympics. It's like it's X, Y and Z race. Right. It's this World Cup. It's this Grand Tour. <clears throat> Excuse me. So unless you are an athlete that's like memorize that criteria that you're just talking about four years ago, um, you're probably not thinking about the Olympics every day. You're just trying to do your job as best you can. And your job may not be winning individual races. Your job may not be winning every race. Um, I think Ruth said it um, in an interview recently where it's like she had races where she, her goal was to win. And then she had races where it was not to win. It was to, to help her team. So the Olympics is, uh, I think it's, I think it's tricky when you're also trying to just like be the best you can be 
every day, not just every four years. And especially for women's cycling, where the Olympics really is the top, top, top competition. You know, men's cycling is a little different with the Tour de France and with some of the, you know, you talk to some of these top men's racers and they'd rather win by Roubaix or mm-hmm. stage of the Tour de France. But for women's cycling, it is the most important thing out there. And so if you are a Taylor Wiles and your job on Trek Segafredo is to pull back breakaways, is to set the pace, is to really try and like shed all the other riders so that your team leader can go and finish it off. It's really hard to quantify that. Here's what she wrote on Instagram. Um, In all honesty, I don't agree with the decision or the process by which athletes are selected. Cycling is a beautiful but brutal sport. It's one of the only team sports where the winner is the only person standing on the podium, the only one to receive a medal, and and the only one who gets the recognition. You better believe that behind every Every woman standing on the podium in every race, there are five other riders who gave their heart and soul to help her just get there. And I think that encapsulates it well. Like that's, you know, her results in international competitions aren't probably aren't going to graduate her onto the team. Now, USA Cycling, did, I will say they did account for this. And in the road selection criteria, there is a um, under discretionary um, criteria. There is this, you know, A, metal capable athletes, B, best predicted finish, C, athletes who maximize team performance. These selections are essential for the road race where team director has devised a race strategy that designates one or more athletes as the leaders and other athletes contribution may assist a team leader in achieving a top performance. Um, but that's again, that is, that's a huge judgment call. I mean, these are all judgment calls. And um, when you look at the other riders selected to the road race, um, you know, uh, let's see here. Leah Thomas, I believe she was top five at Brabant's Appeal. Ruth Winder won Brabant's Appeal. Corin Rivera, you know, Corin, Corinne hasn't had the best international results of late, but you know, 2017, which is outside, which is still a while ago, first American to win Flanders. Um, and then Chloe Deigert, um, I believe Chloe Deigert had an automatic criteria. I could be wrong on that, but, you know, dominating Colorado Classic and uh, being so strong at the Road World Championships two years ago. Um, it's a it's a tough call. Mm, like, it, it really is. I mean, when you read the names out like that, it's like, hmm. It just, it kind of, you just say, hmm, because like I said before, these, these women are all the best. Oh. Um, but they have done very different things on a very different timeline. Well, it's a story we're going to continue to follow. I think that in... Men's mountain bike, um, they made the right call. Christopher Blevins was 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 stronger than Keegan Swenson in those opening World Cups. Um, with the men's road race, I think Brandon McNulty, he's really shown himself in these international time trials. Lawson Craddock, you know, I'm really happy for Lawson. Um, that seems to be, you know, I'm sure that was a, you know, committee had a hard time making those two decisions as well. Um, you know, they chose two guys that are going to be in the road race and the international time trial. Sepkus bowed out. There were some guys in the international rankings who were a bit higher than Lawson. But if you're looking for a guy who can do a good time trial and also, you know, make a breakaway, do you know, be good in road racing. I, I think those are fine choices. I, you know, when I look at the choices, there's nothing that I'm going to like, oh, scream at the heavens about and say this, you know, USC Cycling has screwed up. Yeah. But I will look at them and say, you know, there's a couple of those that you could probably make an argument for for someone else being on the team. Yeah. And, you know, now all we do is wait till the day and we watch the races. Yeah, I think we're like 40 days out or something like that. So it's crunch time for these Olympic athletes. Um, That's all I want to say on the Olympics. We're going to continue to follow this as it goes along. Um, But we need to talk about 
a big race that is coming up as well. And this is a race that Betsy is going to go cover, participate in, indulge in, experience firsthand. Betsy, tell me all about this race. On Friday, which is in uh, two very short days from now, I'm headed to Kenya to participate in and report on the migration gravel race. Uh, this is a brand new race. It's a four-day stage race that takes place um, around the Maasai Mara of Kenya, which is a very famous, um, one of the famous wildlife reserve areas. It's called the Migration Gravel Race because it happens, um, hopefully, around the time of the wildebeest migration. So there's going to be lots of animals out there. Um, in addition to animals, there's going to be like 65-ish of us from all over the world um, who are going to Kenya to do this race. Um, I've written a few stories on it on velanews.com, but the brief backstory is that um, <clears throat> some folks out of the Netherlands have sort of been involved in some initiatives to help elevate East African professional cycling um, in Kenya, Rwanda, and Uganda. Um, and they've done some various things to to help these East African pros um, get experiences that they wouldn't otherwise have by just like trying to get to the world tour, end of story. Like it doesn't work like that in Africa. Um, anyway, one of the initiatives is this race. And so the concept was to bring some international talent to these racers' backyard. And, um, you know, like most places in the world, people's backyards are not generally paved. They're on gravel roads. So this this race is like almost 100% on gravel. Um, you've got some of the uh, top riders from Kenya, Uganda, and uh, Rwanda. And then some names you might recognize, um, two notables who just went one-two at Unbound Gravel, um, Ian Boswell and Lawrence Tendam. Um, those are, you know, two, two big names coming to duke it out in Africa. And then just, you know, folks like me <laughs> who are <laughs> participants. Um, I know there's a handful coming from the States. I, there's a big contingent from the Netherlands. Um, but the idea is to, yeah, to race really hard. And then, you know, in the evenings, we're at these camps in the middle of the, the Mara and we'll have local, um, people there sort of keeping like elephants out of our tents and serving up food in the evenings. Um, yeah, I've never been to Africa and um, I am an intrepid world traveler. So I, I'm just, I'm thrilled. I can't wait. Yeah, I'm really jealous and I'm psyched for you. In 2007, I went and covered the um, Cape Epic uh, and slept in a tent for a week and had a great time down there and got bit by bugs, but had generally had an amazing adventure and, you know, big stage race across South Africa and bad Wi-Fi and amazing food and <laughs> met a lot of really cool people. And this seems like it's potentially even more rugged and out there. You know, what have they said about the the future potential of mass participant events in um, Africa? I mean, are they thinking of this as potentially becoming, uh, you know, a bigger event, like wanting to attract more international field? I know it, there's 65 riders this year, but are there ambitions to grow this thing? Yeah, I think what happened is that initially the idea was to bring sort of like a world world class um, caliber of racers to Africa to compete against Africans. But but as the sort of, you know, race production has unfolded, I think people have realized, you know, the importance of getting just sort of everyday Africans on board. Um, and one of the racers who I profiled um, a couple days ago, 
a Kenyan, he has organized a migration gravel series in and around Nairobi. And that's totally focused on just your average cyclist um, in in Nairobi, um, teaching the basics of, you know, who knows how to use a um, bike computer or something. Um, gravel isn't a thing necessarily in Africa yet. However, um, you know, it's, it's sort of obvious that it, as it is, I think it was a light bulb moment to people where it's like, well, of course we should be encouraging people to ride on gravel. That's that's the majority of our roads. Um, the urban roads in Nairobi are very dangerous. So I think there has been a realization that gravel could be not only a way to help um, professional cyclists in Africa, but also a way to just engage the general population. Yeah, it's cool. A similar model was uh, with... Um Tom Ritchie and Jack Boyer, when they went to Rwanda, you know, 15 years ago and, you know, participated in the Tour de Rwanda and set up this coffee bike race and, you know, really had this dream of creating mass participant events to engage uh, workaday Rwandans to, you know, participate in cycling and see cycling as a way to help with their economy, but also as a, you know, a sport and something to pursue. And then also to target elite Rwandan cyclists and build a, you know, a team for international competition, which they did. And now there's a Rwandan Cycling Federation, and um, I know that um, Jack Boyer and Kimberly have been doing this in other nations too. So this seems like it's a bit of a different model with starting with the gravel thing and the mass participant thing with you know internationals, but maybe trying to use it as the seed to plant something that's going to last for years and years. So I'm really interested to see how this plays out long term. But I'm really really interested <laughs> to read your reporting from <laughs> Kenya. I mean, Betsy's going to be doing daily stuff from the race. I'm expecting you to be like tired, covered in sand and having to flip open your laptop and try to find like the weakest of cell signal and upload um, thoughts from your brain to your fingers, to your computer, uh, to the internet, into my inbox so that we can publish them <laughs> on velonews.com. And I think the readers are going to love to read about your, uh, your wild and woolly experiences over there. Yeah. Hopefully that weak internet signal um, isn't too weak um, because yeah, I mean, part of it, it's it's a bike race, sure, but it's also like it's it's very much um, grounded in this like incredible sense of place. I mean, I can't get over the fact that the race manual was like, I don't know which stage it is, but one of the stages is like, um, I don't know, the the potential for elephants is really high. Like there'll be guys on course to to keep them out of the way. And I, I don't know, I've never seen an elephant outside of a zoo, so I think there's going to be a lot of learning off the bike too. Um, and also just being around people from all over the world. And, you know, we've, we're coming off still like COVID. I mean, to talk about, I mean, that's that's still a thing. So, I mean, there'll just be no shortage of, of stories and conversation. And, you know, one thing that's cool, like I said, is that, you know, I, in the US, we're sort of like gravel has become normal, right? Like my mom and dad get gravel, like gravel's kind of mainstream now, but in Africa, it's not. And one of the things that the um, Wahoo, who's a sponsor of the race, is doing is that the two East Africans who finish first, so the two um, winningest East Africans get um, trips to the States to compete in the Belgian waffle ride, Asheville, as well as steamboat gravel. So there's, there's, there's kind of a, a really cool, um, you know, carrot dangling for these East African cyclists who, you know, have wanted to go pro and compete abroad, but haven't been able to for myriad reasons. And now here's this opportunity to come experience this scene in the U.S. that's like thriving. 
Uh, it's thriving, confirmed. Having been <laughs> at Unbound Gravel, yeah. getting ready to go to uh, BWR here in a couple of weeks. I can tell you that uh, Gravel's back. Gravel is uh, is thriving. And uh, if you want to read all about this gravel race, please stay tuned to velonews.com because Betsy's going to have the inside story. Betsy, please be safe. <laughs> please have a good time. Um, what's your setup? What uh, What are you running out there? I'm taking my personal bike, which is an Ibis um, Haka gravel bike. I've got some pretty sweet Hunt gravel wheels on there. Um, 42 millimeter tires. Hopefully that's big enough. Um, I've been like prepared for the worst type of course. Not not worst course, but like incredibly technical and chunky and chundery. And if it rains, we're all screwed type of course. Um, but typical me, I'm just sort of go, going with what I know. And um, yeah, just going to soak it all in, eat all, eat all of the things and drink all the things and take lots of pictures. Cool. Well, we will be reading about it all on VelNews.com. Thank you, Betsy Welch, for joining the podcast today. You have been a wonderful co-host. <laughs> Thanks, Fred. And again, the Tour de France is almost here. Catch all the action on Flow Bikes. Viewers worldwide can access daily content, including exclusive on-site coverage, in-depth interviews, expert analysis, and more. If you live in Canada, you can watch all 21 stages live or on demand. Don't miss out. Subscribe now at flowbikes.com slash velanews. That is flobikes.com forward slash velanews. Thanks to Flow Bikes for sponsoring this week's episode. We will catch up with you next week. Yeah.